The scripture for today's sermon comes from 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 12. The word of God speaks to us like this. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. This is the very word of God to us. Thanks be to God. Hey, it's sometimes, it's sometimes funny being on the front row and then turning around and you're like, wait, there are people in here. So it's uh, uh, the 6 p.m. is its own thing and it's a, a strange thing, but it is good to see your face behind masks, all the, the eyes that are, are saying how happy they are. I see you back there. I see your eyes way back there. Yeah, you, you, don't, don't turn around, uh, little Chaco. I see it. Uh, all those eyes. So it, it is exciting. My name is Chad Puckett. If I haven't had an opportunity to meet you, uh, I would love it. I'm one of the pastors here. And that simply means that I'm not alone. You are not going to see my face on a car wrap uh, advertising this church. This is not about me. This is a, a group of people that get to do this together. And I'm excited to be a part of that team. So if you would, why don't, uh, I want to pray for you and I want you to pray for me. And we'll just start right there. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you are a God who just abundantly gives to your children. And so we want to be people who look to your word. We don't want to go through just religious actions and just another church service. We actually want to meet with you tonight and have you change us. And so God... We pray that you do what only you can do, which is work in our heart and move us. Move us to be more like you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're starting 2 Timothy. We actually started the first few verses last week, and we're, we're jumping into this next section uh, this evening. And just before we get started, I just want you to think about gifts that you've been given in your life. We live in America, and so you've gotten gifts. We live in America where it's like expected. There are different aspects of this. You have made a list of gifts that you want. You have been a part of it in different ways, of all these types of things. But most of the gifts that we get actually end up on a shelf or in a a drawer or somehow just aren't meaningful a few minutes after we get them. Maybe they are for a season, uh, but then real quickly they move on. So like, for example... I'm 45 years old, and my mother, bless her heart, uh, is in this like deep, deep rut of only giving me Star Wars paraphernalia. 
And, and that's it. I'm a 45 years old, grown man. And that's all I get. I, I see several of you in here that might. That's not the worst thing in the world. But actually, it's like our office now has a dozen Star Wars mugs of every dif- different shape and size in there. It's like, what is going on? When I turned 13, I, I had that big moment. 13 is a big birthday. It's like you're, you're entering teenage life. And I, I had this birthday, and I thought I was going to get loaded up. I thought, this is going to be awesome. This is the gifts that are coming my way as I reach teenagehood. And, and this is going to crush. And so on my birthday, everybody's right there. My, like my grandparents, who are the best gift givers in my life as a kid, uh, they, they were really good at giving me stuff. And on my 13th birthday, this is what I got from my grandparents a photocopy of the newspaper from the day I was born. Like, that is as big a letdown as a 13-year-old boy can possibly have. I, I, I could not, for the life of me, tell you what happened to the photocopies of the newspaper the moment after I opened them. They didn't last at all. They didn't last anywhere in my life. And so, like, we have these gifts, and, and there are things that where you're like, man, I really want that. I think this is awesome. Or we get some gifts that are lousy, and we, we get all sorts of gifts, and sometimes they're good and sometimes they're bad. But, but really what happens is probably the most meaningful gifts that you've ever received are things that would have never made a list that you couldn't have anticipated uh, even asking for. And so in, in my Bible, I carry around a note that's been there for the last 13 years. It's been in there. It's a, it's a note from a student in our college ministry years ago. And it's not like, hey, Chad, you're awesome. We really love you. Uh, this is really great. It's not that. I've never received one of those, and it's definitely not that. It's actually a note of this girl who is going through a really terrible time in her life. And she wrote down six anchors that she said, no matter what happens, I'm holding on to these six things. And, and so, like, I've had this. I've looked at it almost every day for the last 13 years of my life. And, and periodically, I'll call her and we'll, we'll just do it. It has a date on it. It actually has a date, March 8th of 07. And on that day, she'll get a call from me. She'll get a letter from me. She'll get different things. And, and we just have these things. This has become a treasure in my life, a gift beyond price, a gift beyond any type of measure. And what we see here in this passage is a gift. And there's a discussion of a gift, and it is about a gift. And this, this, this whole thing is pointing, and this section of Scripture is actually talking about a gift that God gives us. So let me back up just a second and say, last week, we, we looked at this introduction, these first five verses of it, and it really was about Paul inter- like introducing this letter and writing to this deeply loved friend of his. He's writing to Timothy, this child in the faith, this, this one who's walked with him, has traveled with him. And he's saying, like, Timothy, I know you. I know you. I care about you. I knew your mother. I knew your grandmother. I've known your tears and what you're going through. And, and, I, and Paul actually has a pretty good sense of what is ahead for Timothy as well. And it's, this letter is written, 2 Timothy is written as this like deeply personal, like knee to knee, nose to nose, Paul to Timothy saying, I love you and I'm for you. And this is going to be hard, but it is worth it. 
It's a picture, right? It's a picture beyond just the specific words of it. It's a picture of the relationship between Paul and Timothy. It's a picture of the relationship that we should have as believers one with another. But it's also this ultimate picture of like what we really see and where we really see it fulfilled is in God with us. That God deeply cares about us. What we have as we move forward into this letter is we get to see exactly how this unfolds between Paul and Timothy. And right here we have this discussion of, man, Timothy, you have been given a gift. Notice what it says. It says, verse six, for this reason, because of the words that he just said in the first five, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So there are just three simple kind of steps for where we're going tonight. We want to kind of name what the gift is. What is the gift that's being discussed? The, The second thing is, like, why does it matter? If you're like me, that's the question that always comes to your head. It's like, why, do, why should I even care about this? Why does that gift matter to us? And then the third thing is that we want to see, like, it's just like, how am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to do this? So when you just kind of boil this whole thing down, we're talking about a God who is an over-the-top, over, like, extreme gift giver. And his gifts don't make it into a drawer And they don't just find themselves into a thrift store or something. God is a giver in which his gift actually changes everything. It changes how we interact. It changes who we are. It changes what the future holds for us. It changes everything. And so let's walk into this. First question, like, What's the gift that's being talked about? And, and, and like, it says something specific to what am I supposed to be fanning into flame? And, and the text right here, it, it, gets, it, it gets right to the heart of it. That gift is God himself at work in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. The gift that's given is God in us. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Paul is writing to Timothy, who he traveled to share the gospel for 15 years, and he's traveling with them, and he knows that Timothy, this isn't a prayer for faith. This is a prayer of like fan into flame this gift, this gift of God himself being in you. Fan into flame this Holy Spirit that you have in you, this spirit that God gave us. Not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. But all these things become really important for us right now. This, this, this line is actually really important for us right now because we're in a season of COVID or election. Or we're in a season of deep, deep division over anything and everything we want to divide over. Like it is a season of real pain and difficulty. And like it's easy to just say, man, everything's foggy. I don't know what to do. Whatever I do is going to take heat and people are going to criticize that. And so it just leads so many people just to apathy and sitting on our hands and actually doing nothing. And it leads us to just kind of be cold and and, and just to be people who are right here in this moment saying, I don't know what to do. So I'm not going to do anything. 
It feeds our laziness. It feeds those areas in our life in which it's like, it's just easier to do nothing right now, and so I'm going to do that. If you're in a fog, if you're, if you're in this season of really feeling the divisions and, and maybe even apathy, it's like, this is for you and for me. It's that we're being told right here in this letter to fan into flame this gift that God has given you. Fan into flame. And he uses that picture, right? Fan into flame. This picture of kindling. And maybe you're like me, in which where you love fall or, or spring, where you can kind of have the fire going, and you can work that fire, and you feel the heat of that fire. But it's also, it's like the building of it and the stirring of it, is you get it, and maybe it's just an ember, but here's the picture that's being given, is stir and stoke, fan that flame, breathe on it, and help build that 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 fire that's been given to you. Maybe you're coming in here this evening and, and all you're feeling is an ember. A coal that feels like it's about to go out. A wick that feels like it's lost its burn. Maybe that's where you're feeling tonight. In these words right here, maybe you grew up in church and you're like, man, I grew up in that, but I'm just not even sure where I'm at today. Or I went, but I haven't been in a long time. Or you've been coming for a long time and it's really just kind of routine and ritual, but not relationship. And hear this text and hear the words from God that says, fan into flame the gift that's been given to you. Fan into flame. This very gift. And then it uses this word that, again, pulls us back. It says, therefore. Therefore, verse 8. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And this takes... this. This is going to take a little unpacking for us. This is just a, a, a slight unpacking because he actually puts his finger on something and it gets to the why. It gets to the why, but we've got to do some digging here to get to it. So why does any of this matter? Well, he puts his, his, his finger on two things and he says, shame, do not be ashamed. And then he says, suffer. Suffer for the gospel. And you know, he puts his finger on those things, shame and suffering, two things that all of us are going to experience. If you haven't, let me assure you, you will. You will. All of us have these spots in our heart where we, we want to hide and we want to run and we want to just like, I don't want anyone to see this part. And it shames this, like, it's such a powerful emotion. It, it causes us to feel defective to feel unacceptable or even damaged beyond repair. That shame that, that creeps up. You see, it, shame is different. It's, it's different than guilt. Guilt is one that says there's something wrong and it needs to be addressed. But shame actually says you are wrong. You are wrong and you're beyond hope. And we can be people who actually say, like, I know God can forgive anything except for this. 
I really do trust that God is a gracious God, but there's this one area that I struggle with repeatedly. I really do think that God could do this in people's lives, but this part of my, I don't think he, he could do it. Shame affects us in different ways. And some people, it affects us internally, where we, we act in. And other people, it affects us where we act out. And it shows up in different ways for different people, but it's there. We hear this voice in our head, this voice of shame, that's like, they, if they knew that about you, they'd never look at you the same again. That is the voice of shame. We all have these small pockets of our life. We all have these, these small places in which we absolutely don't want to have anyone shine light on it. And we have difficulty even believing that God could receive that. And that voice of shame creeps up and tells you, like, don't let them know that. And, and Paul here is addressing it. And he's like, don't, do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed. And then he also names the second thing, which is suffering. All of us are going to go through hard seasons. All of us are going to have moments which are incredibly painful. But where this needs actually unpacking is you can understand that there's going to be hard spots in life. And you can understand that there are aspects in which we're, we're not really for public consumption, right, uh, that are hard. And we often maybe hide in shame. And there's an invitation here. But the, the letter actually goes the next step further, which is not saying, hey, in your, in your sin, run from your shame, it actually takes it to another level. It's like, do not be ashamed in the gospel. Or in other believers. He specifically names himself as me, his prisoner. It's like this one who's going to be executed, this one who's in chains, this one who might to other people look like a failure, this one who is there and struggling, is like, it's easy. And if you've ever been around the church, there are going to be moments where you, you feel like, man, I don't want people to know that I'm a Christian because they're going to have all these crazy thoughts. We're not people who live in persecution. We're not a part of the world in which is dealing with a church that is persecuted. But we are a church that, that is experiencing some kind of suffering. There are places in the world in where it's illegal to gather as the church. There are places in the world in which the police are outside. We have an officer who's here with us, not as just a presence, but they're there to intimidate and to keep people from coming. There are places in the world that are experienced actual suffering for the gospel in large physical ways. That's not us. But there are other ways in which we suffer here in which today, today to raise your hand and to say, I believe in what the scripture teaches is one that's going to be very divisive. In, in many places, it would be triggering for folks or unsafe language to, to talk about those things. And so there's, a, there's an aspect in which all of us could feel and all of us could experience real quickly before we even recognize it, a, a sense of shame in the gospel and even in other people. And other people and how they handle it. Paul's addressing this deep cry in our hearts, which is that we're prone to shame and we run from suffering. And he says to both of those things, do not be ashamed. 
and share in the suffering. He's not a masochist. He's not just doing it. It is share in the suffering for the gospel. God's forgiving and redeeming, restoring touch reaches down into those dark, dark areas. It reaches right down into it. Those areas of sin in which we don't even want to run to, he is reaching down into it. And maybe that's maybe you're here and this is what you need to hear is that your shame and suffering is not too much for God. He's not afraid of it. He's not running from it. He's not trying to get away from it. It is not too much from God. And hear how Paul directly addresses those things in Timothy's life and how it speaks to us right here. And so the very next verse, verse 9, it says, He is the one who saved us. It's Jesus who saved us. It's this gift from God, this rescuing gift in which he rescues sinners. It goes on and it says, and he called us to a holy calling. If you think that God just rescued you, saved you, and and brought you so you could come to church indefinitely for the rest of your life, you're missing it. He called you to a holy calling. Set apart for him. Jesus has done this not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. See, he's making a really clear point. It isn't that you did anything to earn this. It isn't that you, you figured out how to clean yourself up for church and you got presentable for church or for, for someone else. It's that he chose you. He gave this gift before any of it, before you did anything, before you got to the right spot at the right time, before any of those things. In fact, before time and before before history, before anything, he called. And then verse 10 says, in which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus, or Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, through this good news, through his work on the cross. You see, here it is. He manifested it. He wasn't just talking. He, he actually sent his son who became flesh here on earth and he manifested it and he walked this earth and he showed up in this place of suffering and shame. It, he, he didn't just show up. He, he abolished death. And maybe you're like me and you're thinking, like, Chad, I heard about funerals this week. I know that people died this week. And so how can these two square? He abolished death. He's talking about, like, here is this one who not only died, not only came, but he died on a cross and, and then he conquered death and he rose again. He took all of death's sting, all that we have to fear, everything that there is to run from and to say, God. He said, death is not the end of the story for followers of Jesus. It's not the end of the story. But he didn't just take that away. He actually brought life. He brought life. And life here, right now, and life for eternity. He brought life. 
And so all of this comes through the gift of God. Every bit of this is his gift to us. And so now let's just ask that third question. Let's ask that final question. How am I supposed to fan into flame this gift? How am I supposed to do that and not walk in shame and suffering? We got to back up and he books it. He bookends it. He bookends it in verse 8 and verse 12. And he says these two things. Verse 8, it says, uh, Do not be ashamed. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel. And here it is by the power of God. You want to know how you do this? You can't do it on your own. You are unable to do this on your own. You can't. It's the power of God at work in us. And he's working. But notice he, he goes and he bookends it on this other end. And verse 12 tells us, For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Hey, Paul's telling us something really important here. How do we fan this in the flame? See, Paul knew something more than just facts. He, he knew about God and more than just like a list of facts that he, recite, he could recite. He knew Jesus. He knew this person, Jesus. Maybe you've just gone to church a long time and you, you could uh, win the Bible trivia. You could uh, say a lot of things that you know about God you know the tribes or you know all of these different things. Uh, but he knew Jesus. And then it led him to something else. It says, for I am convinced, and I am convinced that he is able to guard that. You see, fanning the flame consists of a lot of things. And in some measure, the rest of this book talks about it for Timothy. But where does Paul start? He starts with knowing Jesus and being convinced of who Jesus is and what he has done. And then he uses this uh, incredibly important term. He says, I'm convinced that he is able. He's able. See, it's important because all of us could say all sorts of things. I would love to do this. I would love to be a person who could fly. And I'm going to strengthen my arms to the point where I'm going to move him so fast that he's going to lift me off the ground and I'm going to freaking fly. You guys are going to be amazed. And each one of you would look at me and say, hey, Chad, you're not able. You're not able. And we could talk to each one of us and it's like, we, we could recognize real fast that you're not able to save yourself. And you're not able to overcome suffering and shame on your own. And you're not able to conquer death. And you're not able to overcome all the things that are going to come your way. You and I are not able. But there's one who is. And the whole story of the Bible tells of this one who is able, who is also the greatest gift giver on earth. He's the greatest gift giver. 
And as we go through scripture and read page after page, we see this one who just gives in abundance. And we read the parables and we see these pictures that are given in the gospels. And it tells story after story uh, pointing to this gift giver. It talks of a king who pardons just immeasurable debt. It talks about seed throwers who couldn't throw enough seed. It talks about landowners and different things. And it all is this picture. It talks about a father who gives this whole, all this inheritance to his son who then goes and squanders it for all sorts of things, and we see the father who goes running to the son. We see picture after picture of this great God who is the ultimate gift giver, and then we're told in this to fan into flame the gift that he's giving. Don't sit on it. Don't be happy that you just showed up at church. Fan it into flame. For us, Part of that starts with recognizing that that God is still able and he is still giving gifts. He's still able and he's still giving gifts. If you would, just bow your heads with me. And if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, what would it look like to fan into flame the gift today for you? What would it look like for you to think deeply about knowing Jesus even more and being convinced of him being able? What would that look like in your life? If you aren't a follower of Jesus, could you, just, could you just believe today that God wants to give you a gift? He wants to give you a gift. His love, his mercy, his grace, and his life. There's no prerequisite. There's nothing that you have to do first in this. It's simply, it's simply a gift.